Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Kara. Well, I personally did not vote for Vandy to win the SEC East. Decided Georgia was a very deserving um, recipient of that title. But eight people decided that Vandy, yes, that Vandy, was going to win the SEC East. Can I just say this? I think the joke is over. When eight people mm-hmm. are doing it, you're not original anymore. When it was one, mm-hmm. it was better. But now that there's eight, I, I think the joke is officially dead. I don't think we can run this back next year. No, that's yeah, that's fair. It's like last year, like you said, there was one person who like broke the mold. It was like, I don't want Georgia to be unanimous, which is, I guess, what it was. And now it's like, oh, the boys are all voting for Vandy. It's like, no, they're not, man. There's a whole point to this. You're going to get your credentials and or all of your votes taken. And it's just like, we don't need an investigation for this, man. That's one of those where the SEC almost needs to get to the bottom of it if it gets any bigger. Because it's like, we these things matter when we write stories after the season, you know? Yeah, I, I think there should be, everybody should have to publish their ballot. In right. some way, shape, or form. When you hit submit, your ballot is 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 published. It's available for public consumption. Maybe there's it's available on the SEC website right there. We make all the AP votes public. Mm-hmm. You know, Reddit College Football. That's like one of the things I love looking at every single week on Sunday during the season is figuring out wow, uh, who had who had A and M ranked eighth when they are you know when they're starting off like one and two or something whatever. I love being able to look at that. We can have full transparency for something like this. I don't necessarily care as much now who's putting Vandy in that spot because now it's just like, oh, you're kind of the tryhard. You're kind of just like mm-hmm. trying a, a little bit too hard to like be funny and go for it. I think this stuff matters. I can take a joke. I think it was much better when it was just one. But now that it's eight, I don't know. It's just, it's just not cool. It's like when Ravel gets involved in a joke. That right. joke is it's not over funny. now. We got to yeah. do something new. It's when Ravel pulls out the gritty, the gritty has officially died. Nobody needs to do that anymore. <laughs> that's facts. Yeah, if they want to kill the gritty, that's how we do it. Yeah, great pod today. Uh, excellent interview coming up with Jordan Rogers from Media Days. Got him for about 25 minutes in Nashville. We're going to do ride-sharing experiences in figuring out and lad of the week as well. But, Will, I thought we'd start with some preseason All-SEC gripes. Um, so we already talked about preseason All-SEC teams, but... The way that we're going to do this, order of finish is already out there. I already have my order of finish already out there. If you want to go find it, SaturdayDownSouth.com, shameless plug. Um, We found out that Bama was picked to win the West for the 11th consecutive year. Georgia picked to win the East. Georgia Mm -hmm. is the preseason pick to win the SEC for the first time since 2004. All it took was winning not one, but two national titles. Congratulations for Georgia. You did something. Uh, I'm going to do my crystal ball talk in August where we'll go through a little bit more in depth with kind of like specific games and, and, and how we got to that point. Um, so I didn't want to do a full reaction to that other than I will give myself a slight pat on the back for saying, I thought the, the pro LSU to win the West crowd was just louder than the pro Bama to win the West crowd. And mm-hmm. Bama still ends up being the pick. So I, I, I want to say that I, I got a little bit of credit for that. But the rest of it, I think we're going to wait to break some of it down. And again, like we're not necessarily breaking news with like my specific order finish or, or anything like that. But I'd like to be able to get to that a little bit later when we have more context for what that specific game by game looks like. I think that's the better way to do it as opposed to just like, oh, you know what? Didn't think Mississippi State deserved that spot. Should have mm-hmm. should have bumped him up one. So are, are we good with that? Not like you. I'm stupid. I'm still sticking with my whole thing of, hey, if Bama gets picked, LSU is going to win. If LSU gets picked, Bama is going to win. So I'll tell you right now, this is great news for me. 
Yeah, J.C. Latham saw that and was just like, Georgia? What's Georgia done? Like, get out of here. <laughs> Georgia's not Bama. Uh, yeah, beg to differ on that one in terms of the preseason poll. So um, I have some all-SEC snubs that I want to be able to dig into. And for everyone saying, who really cares? We forget about this by October. You're not wrong, but it's July. <laughs> October isn't for a long time. So I do think, though, there is, and we talk about this with a preseason poll, I think there's actual value in getting six weeks at least, at least before the start of the season, of being considered one of the best players in the best conference in America. And just like with the AP Top 25, I subscribe to the belief that we're talking almost entirely about past performance here. If you're Mm -hmm. telling me a team deserves a spot in the preseason top 25 based on their strength of schedule, go take a walk. Do not talk to me. If you're talking about a guy who deserves a spot in the preseason all-conference team based on where they think they'll finish the season, go take a walk, but talk to me so that I can tell you why that logic is flawed. Projecting with an all-conference honor is foolish. And you might be thinking, Connor, why is it foolish? Why can't we just do that? Isn't that easier? Let's just guess who's going to finish here. Jeremy Johnson, Will. Yep. Jeremy Johnson. Fair. Jeremy Johnson, preseason All-SEC team, all second team All-SEC in 2015. Heading into that season, nine career touchdown passes. Uh, seven of them came against group of five or FCS foes. So something to keep in mind. It might feel weird to look back and be like, wait a minute. So Bryce Young wasn't a preseason All-SEC guy before he won the Heisman? He wasn't because when you haven't started a game yet, you don't just, yeah, like you just don't hop to the top of the food chain just because of recruiting ranking and some garbage time reps. We we can't do that. We're not in a position where we should be rewarding. And that's what this is. I treat it as a true reward. We're saying you are one of the best players in this conference. And here is a, a sign that you came back and you have those expectations. I think it's just a different conversation if we're talking about end of season projections versus a preseason honor. And that's what this is. And to so, your point, too, it's like if you're a Bama fan who's mad that, oh, you guys are sleeping on Bryce Young, it's like, well, you have to apply the rule across the board. And do you want Jeremy Johnson to be included? Because there are a lot more Jeremy Johnsons than there are Bryce Youngs. So it's very simple to just be like, hey, this rule does kind of work, actually. Yeah. And, and look, if they're really good, they're going to get honored at the end of the season. That's the exactly. way that this works. So it's not like we're just going to be snubbing them at every single turn. Although some guys do tend to get more overlooked than others. But if they're really good, we'll roar them at the end of the season. This is kind of a nice way to say of the guys who are coming back, these are the best players, the most proven players in the SEC. So, and also Joe Milton. And also Joe Milton. <laughs> you, know what, Will? you know what? Let's start with Joe Milton. Let's start with Joe Milton, Joe Milton because that was my first gripe was seeing him as a third team all SEC selection. I personally would not have had him for one of those three spots. And it turned into four spots because he and Will Rogers were were tied um, with the you know the, the the votes for for third team. But first team ends up being Jaden Daniels, second team ends up being my guy KJ Jefferson. But Joe Milton as a third team selection. Here's why it's frustrating. Any faith in him is projection, right? It is based entirely on what you think he could be by the end of the season. And if you're telling me that it's not, and that it is based on past performance and you point to the Clemson game, I'd say, what about Spencer Rattler? Spencer Rattler, pretty darn good against Clemson last year, Mm -hmm. wasn't he? In Death Valley. First time that they had lost at home in six years. 
Also, guy who has won a New Year's Six Bowl, did that at Oklahoma 2020, beat an SEC team, beat them pretty badly that year. I, I, I don't necessarily think that this is some belief that like, oh, if, if I don't have Joe Milton as an all-SEC guy in the preseason means, means I think he's going to fail. No, we, we dug into this a few weeks ago, like really dug into this. I think he's the most intriguing player in the SEC, but his past performance does not dictate that. And if you wanted to just do the projection thing, Carson Beck? I'd rather have Carson Beck in that spot. If you want to base your entire preseason All-SEC team on projection, give me Carson Beck over Joe Milton. I I think he has a better path to be able to get to New York. I don't think that there's some big discrepancy in terms of their experience. Joe Milton's got 54 passing attempts against SEC competition, 20 for Carson Beck. It's not like this is some night and day thing. I mean, Joe Milton essentially has like a game and a half worth of passing reps against SEC competition. So you might look at that and say, all right, well, then it just comes down to the SEC stuff. Devin Leary probably would have been a better choice, in my opinion. And some Mm. of you might be saying like, oh, you know what? You're just giving the Kentucky guy the benefit of the doubt. He's a friend of the program. I I get what you're saying. Devin Leary's preseason ACC player of the year at this time last year. Pretty good honor. Pretty good if you're a preseason player of the year in a Power 5 conference. It is a legitimate honor. He's coming off of that year. He was coming off of... um, the season in which he beat Philip Rivers all time single season record for touchdown passes at NC State. So there, there's there's that part of it too. But if you're just looking at this and saying, all right, you can't have a transfer there. Can't have a transfer. Is Joe Milton really that far removed from being a transfer? I don't think so. I, I don't. And it's like, okay, Devin Leary is not your typical transfer. He's just not. Usually transfers are guys who are failed. They lost their job at their previous power five job or something like that like Joe Milton, and you end up in a new place. And if you want to do the breakdown of their numbers compared to you know one another against Power 5 competition, you just want to take that into account, Like it's not even close. I mean, Devin Leary's got 46 touchdown passes against Power 5 competition. He's got two and a half times as many passing yards, not quite as efficient. But, I mean, Joe Milton's got two career multi, multi-touchdown pass games against Power 5 competition. Like, that that's what we're talking about here. Yes, the Clemson game was great. Devin Leary also beat Clemson, also threw for four touchdown passes against them two years ago. Need hmm. we forget? Okay. So I think you can poke holes in the Joe Milton argument in all of those ways. And I would have liked any one of those three probably as a better selection, even though I said I'm not putting Carson Beck in that spot. I have all the Carson Beck spots stock in the world, but you can't put him in that spot as a guy who's never started a game in the SEC. He needs to show that he can do it first. It's kind of the same with Milton. At least it should be, but it feels like we're defaulting to the Josh Heupel offense because he's got such a ridiculous floor with five consecutive top eight offenses, quarterbacks who throw for a ton of yards, ton of touchdowns, not really a whole lot of interceptions. We're just like, oh yeah, you know what? Got to give Joe Milton that spot. I'm just not there with him. And it's not an anti, like, oh, I think Joe Milton's going to suck take, but I do think that he's getting too much buzz if that's the the expectation for him when he really hasn't shown he could do that yet. So I actually disagree with that a little bit. I would say Will Rogers is probably the guy who should be third. And I think them tying is almost perfect to me because Mm. I think the amount of adjustment from Will Rogers, like Will Rogers is clearly the guy who deserves it. Like he's the guy who's been there, thrown all these touchdowns in the SEC, but he played in the air raid system under Mike Leach, who is obviously no longer with us. And he's transferring to a pistol offense, um, which is completely different. 
So I think both of those guys, I think if we're telling the story of where we're at right now, I think that them, them being tied is perfect. And if either one, I think I, I would rather have Will Rogers be ahead, but them being tied is fine because I think we can go back and say, oh, yeah, you know, we all had some doubts about Will Rogers. We all had some doubts about Joe Milton. But I think it is rooted in your point, which is we're all believing in the Josh Heupel offense, which we've seen Joe Milton play in a couple of games. But if you look at it, man, we talked about it. I mean, Jaden Daniels obviously has his OC returning, but Katie Jefferson isn't. You know, none of these guys are. And so as strange as it is that this guy doesn't have any reps in the SEC, he has more reps with his offensive coordinator than – all but about three or four guys in the SEC, as strange as that is, because even Carson Beck, if Carson Beck had did not have a new offensive coordinator, I'm not going to get into that, I think his case would be a lot stronger to be third team. Technically, Joe Milton does have a new offensive coordinator because Alex Halsley is pl- replacing friend of the program, Alex Okay, Walsh, but fair. I get what you're saying, but it's fair. same no, system. You're right. Same That's system. a good note because I did say offensive coordinator, but it's Josh Eiple's offense. Yes, 100%. Where I would push back with the Will Rogers thing, because you're right. There is that air raid asterisk. It's always there. There's a reason why Will Rogers has never earned end of season first or second team honors. And that's because of the offense that he has played in. If if Will Rogers had his resume with any other offense in America, he would be first teamer, no question about it. The guy's already top 10 all time in the SEC and touchdown passes all time in yardage. Like he could very well take take over the all-time leading yardage this year i mean he's got like a 49 to 1 td die and t ratio in the red zone in his career which is Mm -hmm. just absurd and he and he has some things that you could point to and say like all right yeah that's why though he's still only a third team guy i still would 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 be fine with him as a third team guy if you're asking me who do i want tomorrow devin leary will rogers i'd give devin leary the edge there but i i i have no problem with will rogers in that spot because of that and he's done it against sec competition so mm-hmm. like that's what I will give him. He has had tighter windows to work through than anybody. Obviously, he doesn't stretch the field like Joe Milton. It's night and day if you look at their numbers. And obviously, that is they're a very, very different quarterbacks in the way that they have developed. But I would still give the benefit of the doubt to the guy who's at least shown that he's already can do it against the against SEC competition and be that week to week starter, which that is the knock on Joe Milton. We've talked about it ad nauseum this offseason. Show me you can be the week to week guy. And then we'll we can have those conversations about accolades. Mm-hmm. All right, should we go to the next one? Next one's not yeah. quarterback. Um, okay, so Ray Davis, new Kentucky running back, former Vandy running back, he did not earn one of the six running back slots. I would have had him second team. Um, okay, I bet there are a lot of people. <laughs> I've talked about this. I talked about this with the all bang the drum team. This is going to turn a little all bang the drum ish. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm warning people now. There's there's some crossover there with with the people that I like and and why I feel like some of these guys were were snubbed. Uh, Ray Davis should not have been first team. Obviously, he's not getting that spot over Rocket Sanders, Quinchon Judkins. But to not have him second team, that's a that is just a a slap in the face, blatant slap in the face. Thousand yard rusher at Vandy means something. Mm-hmm. And we like we like our metrics. We got into this a little bit with SEC stat cat Clark Brooks, who pushed back very much on the notion that Ray Davis deserved second team honors in the preseason or any sort of honor. And he left him off his ballot entirely. It's a little bit of the Kevin Harris conversation that we were having a couple of years ago, the South Carolina running back and why I didn't want to put him first team. You point to the yards after contact, what all that looks like. A thousand yards at Vandy, man. 
for a team that had not won an SEC game in this decade. And that guy was a huge driving force behind their two victories in SEC competition, one of which against a really solid Kentucky defense that ultimately Mark Stoops looked at and was like, I need to get this guy to Kentucky. I need to do what we can. Let's open up those NIL doors, which I know that was part of it as well. Let's make sure that he gets to Kentucky. Okay. That conversation with Ray Davis, I agree. Like, look, you have to, you have, you have to factor in the complete package, but at the same time, like guy finished the year on a tear average, like Mm -hmm. 127 scrimmage yards in the last month of the season. And you can't tell me that doing so in that Vandy offense (laughs) <laughs> wherein they couldn't stretch the field for a lot of the season. And Mike Wright did a lot of great things. And I love the impact that Mike Wright had. AJ Swan could occasionally stretch the field when he was healthy. But like, you can't tell me that that guy wasn't at a significant disadvantage. So like, I have a little bit of a problem when I see, okay, you know what? Let's let's just put Kendall Milton in there. Let's put the Georgia guy in there. It's like Kendall Milton, great player. Really, really good player. You heard Jacob Hester talk highly of him. And if that guy can stay healthy, what his workload could be capable of, he averaged six and a half carries a game last year. Mm -hmm. Third in command in that backfield. If we're giving him that love and if we're just kind of defaulting to those, like that that to me is where I I have a bit of a sticking point. And to the point that that Clark Brooks, SEC StatCat, is trying to make, he, he had tons and tons of metrics about showing why Ray Davis is more of an average back than we probably realize. You know what these people voting did not look at? Those numbers. There is a 0.0 chance that anybody besides Clark actually looked at those numbers and made this decision. And instead, he gets left off because let's be honest, when you go from Vandy to Kentucky, you're not exactly making waves. But Ray Davis is one of those super underrated transfers. I think he's going to do great things at Kentucky where I think he should have a better offensive line than what he had last year. But having a 1,000-yard season at Vandy, third leading rusher among returners in the SEC, that has to count for something. You can't tell me that there are six guys more deserving of that spot than him. I I thought he got snubbed. Yeah, I think this goes back to my thing that I said about, you know, Alabama and LSU. It's that sometimes you can always just write things off as like, dude's being stupid. So you can look at the top of this and go, okay, you got a guy from Ole Miss. You got a guy from Arkansas. Both of them I think are deserved. Do you you agree to that? Yes, obvious. So as you know, how some dudes think, not, not dudes, I don't want to be sexist, but just like, you know, group think, right? It's like, well, I'm going to put an old Miss guy, and I'll put an Arkansas guy up here. Well, I got to put a Georgia and Alabama guy in here so I don't look stupid at the end of the year. Like, oh, if those guys, if Milton and McClellan end up as first team SEC, well, I had them second team SEC, but I wanted to respect, you know, the guys and what they've done. So boom, those guys are auto locked because you have a tier of the guys who should be first team. Then you have a tier of, okay, well, I have, I have Ole Miss guy, but I feel bad, so I'm going to put Jason McClellan next to him just so I don't look stupid at the end of the year. So we have an entire tier of the one in the one and one seed from each division. Then you look at the third team, and what's that? I've done a lot of thinking here. Let me grab the home run guy. We got two home run guys in the third team. It's oh, ETN. Now ETN's a great back. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm again have been high on him throughout. Okay, the guy I have an issue with is Jarquez Hunter because do we know if he's playing? Do we know if he's playing to start the year because we no. haven't gotten any. <laughs> Like, it's not exactly like a George Pickens torn ACL situation Mm -hmm. with with something like that. But like, are are we sure like that that he's going to be the guy? Great player. Awesome player. Still kind of need to see that he's going to be out there suiting up for for Auburn to to kick off the year. Yeah. Best offensive player on that team. Not really that close. 
I just like looked at that and I was like, wait a minute, what are, what are we doing here? I was surprised ETN got the love. I thought Montreal Johnson was going to Montreal Johnson had nearly 900 rushing yards, double digit touchdowns last year, but we know we are the number one pro Trevor ETN pro Trevor ETN pod. But mm-hmm. at, at the same time, like I was just surprised to see that, that Milton and Georgia fans are going to push back on this. I know they are got that sort of preseason all SEC buzz when it's just like, oh, let's just default to like have a Georgia guy in there when in reality, like if you're doing the projecting thing, Georgia usually divvies that up pretty well. They, they always mm-hmm. have kind of more of a split backfield. I loved me some Kenny McIntosh. That guy was awesome in terms of players that are going to have a significant vacancy that we could be talking about a lot more in the regular season that we're probably not talking about enough. I would put Kenny McIntosh very high on that list, but man, like that was just a like a blatant slap in the face. Thousand yard season at Vandy? Who cares? What? Oh, do, yeah. do it somewhere bigger. Do it somewhere where people are paying attention. This is essentially what that said to me. It's a simple explanation, though. It's that you ask guys to or people. I hate to keep saying guys. But you ask people to do a kind of an advanced math problem at the top of this list, and by the time they get to the bottom, they're just like, I've already spent enough time on this. Who's a little fun guy? And this whole third team is just some little fun guys, right? I mean, Anaya Smith, you could argue, but Jermaine Burton. I'm not even gonna get into that. We're gonna get to that. We're, we're gonna get right. into that. No, Don't know, you worry. It's, it's there's a lot of uh, 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 by waves thinking. We're like, I'm gonna throw a guy on my third team just to kind of like in case he pops off, I can say I saw it coming. Yeah, that's that's very much what it felt like. Mm-hmm. So yeah, get it. Ray Davis got some metrics working against him. 100 acknowledge that. Don't think that was the reason that he got left off of those Mm-mm. specific teams. <laughs> not at all. Okay, a guy that I had as a first teamer. Had as a first teamer got left off entirely. Not one of the 12 defensive back slots went to Nick Eamon Worry, the safety for South Carolina, member of the All Bang the Drum team, guy that we talked about before. So I don't want to repeat myself too much here. But if you haven't seen this guy play at 6'4, 220, here's what you need to know in terms of like everybody says, like, oh, you know, he's a throwback safety. He's not afraid to get his head in the mix, blah, blah, blah. Among all Power 5 players last year, he was 12th in the country with 62 solo stops. 14 solo stops came against Georgia. He was number two in the SEC in that category, number one among all FBS freshmen in solo stops. Why is that significant? That means you got a dude who is as sure-handed a tackler as you can possibly have on that football field. If you're getting those solo stops where he's coming from, that tells me no, 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 no. You're not getting the benefit of the doubt. Okay, you're not getting, you're not getting. Oh, I'm coming downhill and I'm getting a guy before you know maybe a screen or something like that, or oh, I'm getting this guy in the flat before he's really got his momentum going. You're meeting dudes head on, and you're saying, I don't care. That is what it, Nick Emmonwari does. And if you watch that tackle that he made against KJ Jefferson last year, that tells you a whole lot, in my opinion. That dude will pop you right in the mouth. And yeah, cover skills, not great. I think the cover skills are going to get a little bit better as he gets more technique. It's kind of tough to come in as a true freshman safety and have elite cover skills. Not a lot of guys really do that. Has mm-hmm. the makeup speed, though, to be able to do that. He's still like in this competition to be the fastest guy on South Carolina's team right now. He's a special player. And I was like, you know what? It gets a little bit murky with the first team DBs, like r- right after Kool-Aid McKinstry, Malachi Starks. And then I'm like, kind of like, ah, you know what? You can go with Javon Bowler. Like you can kind of go in a few different directions. Georgia having three of the four secondary players on first team. I was kind of like, are we sure about that? 
Are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But I was very surprised to see a freshman All-American just get left off that entirely. I think he's got a really good chance. I know this isn't projecting, but I think he's got a really good chance to finish in that spot. And I think what he already did as a true freshman, I'm like, that guy's ready to go plug and play. He's the best defensive player returning on an eight-win team. That's got to count for something, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you, and I won't spend too much time on this, but I think sometimes we get lost with like the projecting and the, oh, well, the safety should be able to do this and this and this and this, and sometimes we lose the fact of what these positions are. It's like, hey, as a D-lineman, it's nice to have sacks, but you want to be able to like clog the lineup and stop the run. As a safety, you want to be able to wrap up K.J. Jefferson. That's fundamentally what one comma one of your job is. Facts. You know, that's that's it. So I don't think we have to think too hard there. Yeah, uh, and, and again, like, I don't know that he's ever going to be this guy who's you know, got five interceptions or anything like that. But at the same time, a big part of why South Carolina once again led the SEC in forced turnovers, having that guy over the top, having that guy take care of some of those issues in the open field. And that there's only turnover that he forced last year was actually the, the game ceiling fumble recovery that he had against Clemson to mm-hmm. close the regular season. So very important player. South Carolina fans, I think we're it felt very miffed to see him get left off entirely 12 defensive back spots. And that guy didn't get one of them. Come on. All right. Um, okay. A guy that talked about a little bit this off season, but um, feel like I'm, I'm much higher on than I was expecting to, at least at this time last year, I was not as high on this guy. Evan Stewart did not get one of the seven wide receiver slots. And Jermaine Burton did well, Jermaine mm-hmm. Burton did um, Evan Stewart. If you did not watch a ton of AM because they sucked for most of last year, their offense made my eyeballs hurt. I get it. Totally get it. Train wreck. Absolute train wreck to watch. Maybe you tuned into the Bama game. Maybe you did that thing where you're like, oh, <laughs> Bama's on the ropes. Got to turn this on. Maybe mm-hmm. your impression of Evan Stewart wasn't like the two or three ridiculous catches he made in that game. It was instead the goal line fade that Jimbo Fisher called for him that had like a 5% chance of success. Uh, that did not work out very well. I love me some Evan Stewart. I banged the drum last year. Freshman receivers in the Jimbo Fisher offense. It is just not a thing. Those guys mm-hmm. do not pop. Anaya Smith had the best season of a true freshman wide receiver in the Jimbo Fisher offense. He had 291 receiving yards. Evan Stewart <laughs> blew that out of the water. Totally blew that out of the water. 649 receiving yards last year. He was top 10 in the SEC in receiving yards per game and in catches. In that offense, Will... In that offense with mm-hmm. those quarterbacks and that scheme, he was that successful going up and just making plays. If there is a player in the SEC who is going to benefit most from a scheme change, maybe let's just limit it to non-quarterbacks. If there is a non-quarterback skill player in the SEC who is going to benefit from a scheme change most, I think it's Evan Stewart. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe that's a little bit projected, but like guy had just as many, rec- he was 25 receiving yards short of Ja'Cory Brooks. You know who was throwing passes to Ja'Cory Brooks and Jermaine Burton last year, Will? Bryce Young. Bryce freaking Young. You know who was throwing passes to Evan Stewart? I don't. Good question. <laughs> I don't, whoever Jimbo Fisher, because I, I guess Max Johnson was all right. Haynes King was a thing for like six minutes. And then true freshman Connor Wigman in that mm-hmm. offense. Again, I cannot emphasize that enough. Um, I, I think people are sleeping a little bit on, on Evan Stewart. I, I would have had him in over both of those guys. I, I usually default to the guys who are a little bit more interchangeable, the juice wells, Malik neighbors, where you can like line them up in the slot. They'll just go make plays all over the place. Justin Jefferson, Traylon Burks, those types of guys. But I actually kind of think it's more impressive that Evan Stewart lined up on the outside, 88% of his snaps. 
I don't think he's six feet tall. And if he is, it's really close to it. And Mm -hmm. he still was that good as a true freshman. Nah, Evan Stewart needs to be getting more love. Um, do you remember who Aiden brought to media days? Did they bring one of these receivers? Anaya Smith. Yeah. There you go. Anaya Smith. Yeah. (laughs) And Anaya Smith got that love. Yeah. Overall, Anaya Smith, if you if you factor in everything, like the leadership, the return Mm -hmm. skills, all that, all those different things, probably considered a better football player overall. But receiver, which that's the spot that Anaya Smith got. Yeah. I'd rather have Evan Stewart as a receiver than Anaya Smith. Maybe I'm crazy. No, I think you're right. And I think maybe I'm just being mean to the voters. But again, we started with the Vandy thing. You guys don't have the benefit of that anymore. Evan, Evan Stewart's the best receiver on the team. It's just to me, I'd never even thought that he wasn't. So the fact that Anaya Smith is here on the third team and Evan Stewart is not, in my mind, I genuinely believe if they had just brought Evan Stewart instead of Anaya Smith, he would be there. <laughs> like, I yeah. really think there's not enough thinking going on to even. Yeah. So I, I, I think if you didn't watch this team, which again, bless you. I'm so like, you're so lucky. If you didn't watch this team last year, you may think, Oh yeah, I remember nice Smith. Like, da, da, da. but it's like, no, like you have to see the bad games. You have to see the slop to understand how good Evan Stewart is. Mind you, Evan Stewart did not play against UMass. He was not subject to that. Whatever, mm-hmm. whatever happened that day. Um, that just, train wreck of a football game that roughly 13 people witnessed in person shout out to all 13 of you you guys are the Mm -hmm. true survivors but yeah uh evan stewart against a don brown defense in like primal conditions would would be a lot of fun just Mm -hmm. single high safety trying to cover evan stewart would be a disaster but thought he should have gotten that love i didn't think that the um i didn't think there were a lot of discrepancies in terms of the the receiver selections i thought juice wells was going to end up being a first team guy Mm -hmm. And he ended up being a second team guy behind Ladd, which I had Ladd as like my eight as my all purpose guy on the first team. So because you factor in, you know, the return stuff as well. And he had what, like the end around as well against Mm -hmm. Mississippi State, I think that he had. But I get it when you do it in big time games. That makes perfect sense. Not that. Juice Wells didn't do it in big time games. If you look at the Tennessee game, you look at the Clemson game, he was fantastic. Even Notre Dame game, he was fantastic as well. But um, I didn't necessarily think that was worthy of one of those spots, but just kind of wanted to list that because it it definitely, that was one of those, like, I'm surprised, but I could at least get it. Why, why, why Juice Wells didn't get that love. Yeah. And again, like just, you know, two Bama guys on here and we're talking about guys that have been left off. And it's just like, what did you guys see last year? Uh, that made you think that a significantly worse quarterback, which is not a dump on whoever they are playing quarterback. It's just that Bryce Young is one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen in my life. So it's going to be a significant drop unless this kid is, again, the greatest quarterback in SEC history. If you can come in and be better than Bryce Young as, you know, that whatever age they may be. Again, we're still picking between a couple of guys. I mean, I'm pretty much... I think there's only one of two guys that could actually be that good. I think the Notre Dame transfers got out the window. So, Buckner. yeah, if it's going to be Ty Simpson, then maybe he's just the generational better than Trevor Lawrence guy. But either way, you're factoring in a big quarterback step down, which, again, is respect to Bryce Young. It's nothing else. I just don't understand how you could say that this Alabama team that we watch every year going or every game going, why can't these guys get open? I don't know why two of them are up here and we're looking at good receivers who were in worse situations that could get open. I don't know. And Will, it's not even that they just couldn't get open because if you're pointing to that, there are some people that would say, well, that's Bill O'Brien's fault. That scheme, that's those guys not being able to get separations because Bill O'Brien did not have an imaginative enough offense. Okay, so what about when the play breaks down 
and Bryce Young is still behind the line of scrimmage. He does that better than anybody in college football. Mm-hmm. And you're forcing a defensive back to guard you for six seconds and you still can't find a way to get the football. Right. Just saying. Just mm-hmm. saying. Something that probably should have been taken into account, but clearly wasn't. Okay, the last one that I have, and this is this is the most egregious one. This this is the most egregious one. I actually missed it going through my first time. And when I when this came out on Friday and, and you're breaking it down, you're kind of looking like, all right, who's quarterbacks? You're kind of going through skill positions, all those different things. I had this moment where I was like, wait a minute. I know I saw that guy earlier and I didn't see it until this morning. Until I think it was actually uh, Clark Brooks who pointed it out that this guy did not make the cut. And then I went back and I was like, wait a minute. Huge, huge omission. Bo Limmer did not make a preseason All-SEC team. Bo Limmer, who was starting right guard at Arkansas, two-year two starter form. He's transitioning to center this year. Mm-hmm. So maybe there was a little bit of a mix-up there with kind of the position. We tend to default with tackles in the preseason. I don't know. It's this weird thing. Cole was Cole was ranting about that as well, which I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is this is a, a, a just a, a blatant error. Will, there are 15 spots for offensive linemen and center. This guy was a second-team All-SEC selection last year by the AP. Yep. And he came back and I get it. Like you're going to a new scheme. So maybe there's a little bit of that, but like, what, what, what are we missing here? Because if you look at all the PFF grades and I understand there Mm -hmm. are a lot of people who just say those are stupid. Those are overrated. There are only three power five offensive linemen who had grades north of 80 in both pass protection and as a run blocker. Bo Limmer was one of those guys. I mean, I had him as, as a no brainer among first team, all sec Offensive lineman. I had Javon Foster, Sed Van Pran, Bo Limmer. Those are my three. Set it and forget it. Do not care. Like the rest of this, I have to really figure out and think about in terms of the first team guys. And to see him just not end up on any of these teams, it's almost like someone said, like, oh, there's the Arkansas guy. And then they penciled him in and then forgot there's actually two Arkansas guys. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's you, you gotta you gotta be able to go past the fact that there is um <laughs> Uh, there, there are multiple Lathams. Okay, <laughs> Brady Latham, I thought was should have been a first team guy. Uh, did not get that kind of love. JC Latham did, which again, no problem with that whatsoever. But still, like, was one of those things you got to kind of, you got to kind of factor in. You got to consider. I, I was stunned. I mean, this Arkansas ground game last year, as much as there were moments when it felt like there was an offensive drought, it still ends up being the what third or fourth. It was the fourth best non-service academy rushing attack in college football. Mm-hmm. He's great in pass protection. He played center in the bowl game. They had like 649 total yards of offense. Didn't allow a single pressure in the bowl game playing center. I don't know what we're missing here. Guy was a third team All-American from PFF last year too. And just did not get that love. That was one of those where you're like, wait, 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 what? Like, what, what, what are we doing here? And it's not to say that there are guys who are not going to end up in that spot, but to see like a, you know, who is it? Um, Tyler Booker, friend of the program. He's got one career start. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's got it's got one career start. There are there are guys like that. Amarius Mims is another one. Like their first career starts came in the postseason last year, and they're getting preseason All SEC love. And this guy has been doing it for two years for one of the best rushing attacks in America that has just been dominating and steamrolling teams, especially with that interior attack. And he's he's played in on the interior. I was just surprised Bo Limmer got left off. That was probably as egregious as anyone on these All SEC teams. Was he listed on the ballot as a center? No, it, there's there's no distinction for center. Hmm. This, I, I I don't know why. Or no, you know what? You know what? There is. There is. 
there is actually a spot. Now that I'm thinking about this, there is a spot on the ballot for it. But if you if you if you look at this, you have you don't have a distinction for like tackle and guard. There's mm-hmm. four offensive line spots and then the the one center spot per team. So maybe there's some sort of there's just gotta be some sort of mix up there. That Welcome to the like, National Basketball Association. This yeah. is exactly what happened to Embiid for all those years where he was a second team with Jokic, even though he was like a top four player in the NBA. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that's what I'll give. Uh, I'll assume happened here is that, you know, we all know said Van Pran. All right. And then you go and OK, who's the guy from Bama? He's second team. And then we all know Cooper Mays. <laughs> so we have three. We have centers occupying two and a half spots in someone's brain. The fourth one or the third one is not going to happen. So they were just like, okay, I know one center. I know two centers. Who's the guy from Bama? You know what? That's it. Yeah, that's probably it. And, and like, that's that's the point of the ballot where, look, I've talked to people who mm-hmm. I very much know they're just giving those spots to the big three. Right. They are. It's Bama. It's Georgia. It's LSU. You're getting one of those spots. It's maybe the end. Of, it's the end of the week by the time you get this ballot. And you don't necessarily have the time or the energy to figure out which offensive lineman is worthy of a third. Like they they have so many spots. I think it's eight offensive linemen and two centers that you have to pick. I want to mm. say that's that's the breakdown. I should have written down how many they have you fill it out, or I didn't even ask them to give me the P, the PDF. I should have done that, and I didn't. But it gets to that place where you're just kind of splitting hairs by the end of it. A lot of people yep. are, and for those of us who actually think that there's value in this and like being able to look at this stuff and compare guys side by side. And I don't know, like I just thought that was a, a blatant omission has to be just, just has to be should have maybe, maybe he should have just been a, a eligible for one of the offensive line spots because look, that's where he's played, right? That, that That's mm-hmm. the position where he's most comfortable. He's most comfortable playing that right guard spot, but he projects as a better center probably in terms of the NFL. So that's like why he's been moved there. But yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. There was probably something that fell through the cracks there. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, other thoughts. I know I said I wouldn't have Mason Smith as an all-ICC guy. I still ended up putting him on those eight defensive linemen that they make you fill out, of course. Because mm-hmm. you get to that place where I'm like, all right, I got my proven guys. You kind of know who you're going to go with. Um, I didn't have him first team all-ICC. I actually... I gave our big, our, our big thick king Desmond Watson some love there. Did for, not first get that team love. for end end of the first team for this for this logic for this okay. logic. That defense has nobody that can stop the run, mm-hmm. nobody. And that dude at four hundred twenty pounds, however heavy he is, is out here playing thirty to forty five snaps a game, mm-hmm. and he's doing it. And is one of the very few guys that can actually stuff the run and take on double teams. And if they were without him, that Florida defense would be even worse, which is kind of crazy to consider. And look, if they step on the field tomorrow, yes, give me Mason Smith over Desmond Watson. I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying that I'm a Desmond. I I am a Mason Smith appreciator 100% through and through. But as you kind of break it down, you're like, all right, give me a guy who's shown that he could do something at a high level in this conference. Desmond Watson, Again, like every time I watch him, I'm like, that guy can stuff the run. He's at least taking on multiple guys. Graded out really well, too, with the PFF stuff. I think he was third among returners, um, SEC interior defensive lineman in terms of a, of, a, of a run defense grade. So take that for what it is. But yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult when you once you kind of get down because then you're like, ah, some of these guys that are more of edge guys that are maybe more of like the 
you know, the Jack linebackers are listed at linebacker, even though they're kind of playing more of a defensive end position. So it gets a little bit murky with some of that stuff, but yeah, that was, that was one of those where, look, I have no problem with Mason Smith being a first team all SEC guy. Um, and then let's see who else we already talked about KJ and Jaden. Like, I think that's just kind of preference. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get bent out of shape out of that. I knew that was a possibility. Um, the juice over lad thing we discussed, what doesn't really upset me is if a guy that I have a super high projection for gets no love in this. Mm-hmm. Don't care. Squirrel white. I might have some bull predictions coming out sometime in the next month. Might just have squirrel white lead in the SEC and receiving. Might just have it. Even though I heard mm-hmm. a ton about Dante Thornton, the Oregon transfer, about the things that he's going to do at Tennessee. I'll still, I'm going to hold on to my squirrel white stock. I don't care who their, their quarterback is. By the end of the year, if it is Joe Milton, if it isn't, just give me Squirrel White making some plays. Um, but I, I, that doesn't really upset me. I'm like, all right, guy hasn't really shown that he can do that over the course of an entire season. He's not going to get that preseason type love. Only seven spots for receivers. But um, yeah, I think that's I think that's all I got. Anything else here that I that I missed or anything that stood out to you? No, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you with the Mason Smith thing. That's one of those where it's like, yeah, I mean, okay, so I love Mason Smith. I think he obviously is a, one of the best D-linemen I've ever seen. But obviously he got a serious injury and in like not even, I think, the first or the second series of the first week last year. Like I was there. I remember I remember that was the apex of my nightmare at that game was looking at Mason Smith and yep. watching him on the ground and being like, okay, this is a bad dream. No worries. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. This car wreck kind of messed me up a little bit more than I thought. He's not really on the ground in the second series. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that is a little bit of a projecting thing because we only saw him play a little bit. But I don't really see a guy in the second team that I think like, oh, he's getting you know wronged here. Like there was a guy who I really was like, oh, you guys aren't watching this guy. Maybe, but I do think, you know, uh, Mason Smith probably will look good at the end of the year. I don't know what Major Burns doing down there. We don't got to talk about that. He's on the third team. I don't know. I've never seen that dude. It's been like lockdown Major Burns. But I think that's kind of the LSU thing where it's like, huh, we know the three LSU guys. Do we have three first team guys and no one else? And the answer is yes. Um, so two and a half first team guys because we didn't see uh, Mason Smith that, that much last year he will probably finish high but I think we've already given him the benefit of the doubt no reason to do that twice but yeah that's it I'm, I have a lot of co- co- uh, not concerns but questions about LSU's especially back end defense so I'm like Major Burns is not solving yep. those questions uh, he's certainly if this was the guy if this guy showed up I'd feel great but anyway that's that's pretty much it uh, yeah I think I think there's we talked about the quarterbacks we talked about the running backs I think it all kind of makes sense when you think about it yeah, running back, uh, running back and linebacker were the two easiest to kind of figure out in terms of, the, mm-hmm. at least in terms of the first team of like what that pecking order was going to look like. Those were the the areas where you just don't really have to think a whole lot about it. And then yeah. it's kind of even like looking back, I was like, you know what? Like, I, I kind of forgot how much Dallas Turner's 2022 disappointed me. And I still had him as a first team guy coming into mm-hmm. this year. But it kind of made me think because I was like, I think he's I my, one of my bold predictions for last year was that he was going to lead the SEC in sacks, mm-hmm. which it was bold to even say he was going to lead his own team in sacks because of Will Anderson, obviously. Yeah. But I thought he was going to really benefit. Didn't necessarily pop. There's hope that maybe he's going to be able to kind of pop this year in a little bit of a different kind of role in that defense. Obviously, a different defensive coordinator. So that'll be interesting to follow as well. But yeah, I, I thought those were the two areas where I was like, yep, I feel pretty good about it. I feel like the guys that I have in those spots, I'm not going to have to worry about Judkins. Rocket Sanders, very rare to have the SEC returning two backs this accomplished um, already. But yeah, um, all SEC teams are out. 
And I'm sure if you just searched all SEC disrespect, probably saw like everybody because everybody just gets disrespected constantly. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, let's kick it to Jordan Rogers. Got some never been told stories from Jordan that I think you will find very, very interesting. Also, dig into some quarterback stuff as always with him. Uh, his tough take from last year that he ate a little bit of crow on um, that he's kind of pivoted away from this year. So here's Jordan. All right, now excited to be joined by a very special guest, one of my favorite human beings on the face of the earth. I'm gonna gas you up big time, Let's okay? Go. Let's go. It is Jordan Rogers. Um, you are someone that has been like just everywhere and all over my television. And when you were all over my television six years ago, I was like, I've had enough of Rogers in life. But now, now I think it's a little bit more welcoming. How do you feel about that? So you're telling me that you're a big reality TV guy. You're you're sharing your innermost secrets now. I've told you about Chad every <laughs> single time. I, I will always bring up Chad, and I will bring up any anything related to the Bachelorette. But I, I hadn't watched an episode, and then I saw Jordan Rogers' kind of leather shirt oh on reality TV. God. Take you me behind that. The amount of crap I've gotten for the leather shirt. And then granted, you know what? It's probably warranted. But here's what I'll say. We were filming a Barbie episode, so we're supposed to play into that. You know, you have a stylist for these things, so they bring a handful of options. And I'm like, you know what? If there's one time that you're going to wear a leather shirt, you might as well lean into it. So I did, and I regretted it. But I'll tell you what, I sweated my ass off for hours filming. Um, but you know what? Got a couple texts that it looked good, and mostly were like, why are you wearing a leather shirt? I, I would have. you learn. You, you know, you, you, you make mistakes, you live and you learn. So no leather for me, except for from the waist down. I, th- I think you, that was, whoa, <laughs> you also slid that in there. Oh my God. Unbelievable. Hey, well, you know, a pair of chaps, you never know. Anyways, what were you going to say? Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, your caffeine intake with media rounds that you've been doing is too high for a human being. Yeah. You're, you said today was a light day. You had what? Eight shots. You had a vent, you had two venti before noon. Yeah. How, how can you physically handle? And then one normal cup of coffee. So whatever's in that, um, I had sipped, had three sips of a Red Bull before Paul too. You know what? It's, it's an unhealthy addiction. Um, but here's, here's what actually, here's where I went wrong. So I'm a big Starbucks guy and I'm, I'm weird in the fact that I love to go hang out with my barista when I'm in Dallas, uh, my barista, Phil, he's awesome. He always, crack jokes and we laugh whatever anyways so he makes me always get two ventis and take one drink start drinking one in the fridge for you know that mid-afternoon like, what do you mean he makes you well he makes me two ventis he's oh he ma- he physically makes yeah. i thought you meant like he forces you oh, to no, have no but here's where i'm gonna go with the story so when i walk in phil already's making my drinks and whatever so that's the two ventis and then i remember like a year and a half ago i was in there and phil slides me the drink i'm like took a sip i'm like man that's strong today phil he goes well yeah eight shots in it and i'm like what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, I always give you extra. I said, but I thought it was like a little bit. He said, no, no, no. I've been giving you eight shots each. Jordan, that's that's not healthy. So then I realized like I was having 16 espresso shots by the afternoon. And I was wondering why my heart like was going to explode. So I've, I've dialed back from there. I, I no longer let Phil put eight shots in each venti. But um, I'm still, yeah, way too much. You're not even a parent yet. You'd be doing this. That's I'm I'm prepping my body for that. I'm going to be, I'm going to be ready for no sleep and ready for caffeine. Well, let me tell you, I have up caffeine intake in the last, my daughter is seven weeks old and we are at that place now where I don't know, I, I'm going to have to up it. I'm not going eight shot venti, are but I, sleeping at all? I am sleeping because those first two, three weeks, it's like two, three hours here or there. Yeah. She'll sleep for like a seven hour stretch oh, now. So we're, we're good. As long as I can get the seven hour stretch, that's, that's everything. It starts at like eight o'clock. 
So it's, you're waking up at like four in the morning or anything. That's not my way of asking you if you're going to have kids. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to do what some other reality shows will do. Uh, but let's, okay. So let's, let's talk quarterbacks. Your QB one coming into this year, you got to have your rankings. That's you have your rankings ready to go. I haven't seen your rankings yet. Is there a reason for that? Are you scared of quarterback rankings this year? <laughs> no, but you know, I'm not sure I have sat down and like written them all down yet. I have them pretty much in my head. I'd go with Jaden right now at number one. Um, just, I think when I watch Jaden Daniels, his development from the first really half of last season to where he finished the season at, and I take athletic ability off the table. I mean, that's one of the biggest part of his game. So I mean, that's obsolete. It's super important. But early last year, LSU was very limited in the past. I mean, they were a split field read. I mean, you could tell that they were really trying to help manage and grow Jaden's ability to read progress consistently. And I think he struggled with that a little bit. And so it'd be, hey, too high, you go to this side, one to two read, use your legs, use your athleticism if it's not there. One high, work this side. And then as the season started to go on, you really start to see them mix in more full field progressions, more, and what I mean is more concepts that work against everything. So a lot of times when you're limited in what your quarterback can do, if it's the right coverage, you can make it work, big plays. Um, if not, you're kind of hit or miss on some plays. So his ability to consistently start his eye in the right place, find the open guy, be consistent with his accuracy, and then you sprinkle in his athletic ability. I just think he's unbelievably dynamic. I think Malik Bruce is up there as one of the better guys in the SEC. Uh, I think Ben Thomas and Kyron Lacey are very underrated as well. The offensive line is really good. They're all back except for one guy. So I think Jaden's going to have a big year. And really because just like the amount of development I think he made from one to where they finished. I think the one of the the, the interesting storylines that probably not a ton of people outside of their specific fan bases care about is like KJ and Will Rogers transitioning to new systems, like very new systems, like to the point where I don't think people realize how drastic it'll be to watch KJ under center doing a traditional handoff or Will Rogers doing that same sort of thing. Like, man, these, these are two guys that we feel like we know and they're two guys that are here at media days and they're well represented. Who had the bigger transformation to be able to make between those two? Because it feels like Rodgers is the easy answer, but I can make a case that a lot of things that KJ's doing, and if they're going to run as much tempo like they did with Kendall Bryles, it's actually like a pretty significant deviation that we should probably be talking about more. I don't think people understand enough just how that change is going to be for KJ. Because agree, like it's super easy to say will. They go from air raid to apps is much more, it's not pro style, but it is much more traditional to what normal offenses are uh, in this day and age. But KJ, for one, the offensive change is going to be exponentially harder because of what they're losing around him. So not only do you have a wholesale change in what he has to do, pre whether he's in the gun, under center, how he has to manage shifts, motions, because they're going to do a lot of Danny Enos is really good at creating advantages pre-snap and diverse with his personnel groupings. Verbage is going to be a change, but he's going to have to do that with, I think, not a lot of talent on the outside uh, for what they're they're used to. And that's that's why quarterback rankings, and I think this year has been really tough for me, probably why I haven't sat down and wrote it, because if you just said, okay, pick quarterbacks and put them in a vacuum, KG might be my number two right there, but is he going to have the second best season? No. Like, he's not. I see that very difficult for him to have a ton of success this year doing it the way he's been used to doing it, having big guys on the out that can make plays um, and using his legs. So that one's going to be tough. I think there is a big change for KJ on paper. It's Will. The bigger change, I do agree, I think might be with KJ. Trying to figure out who Spencer Rattler is for the last oh, five, six years. I want to go back to my rankings last year. Go back to my rankings last year. I had him at two. You, you had him at two last year? I had him at two. Now, you know, part of it is some showmanship. No, I'm just kidding. I, you know what? I went back and walked, watched all the tape of Spencer before he 
got taken over by Caleb Boyd or he got benched. And there was just not a lot of dislike. And when you got to that text game, there was a few bad plays, but it wasn't exemplary of what you've seen, the body of work that he'd done to that point. So I said, look, he's going to be in a system that I think is going to be good for him. Um, I probably underestimated how big of a change that's going to be from a verbiage and a cerebral point, but they were doing it at Oklahoma to what Marcus Satterfield was running with them last year. Um, so I had him much higher. But he's the dude. He's got the ceiling and the lowest floor in the league, possibly. Like, when he's on, dude can – I mean, he can rip. I mean, there's articles, but oh, it could be a first-round draft pick. He's not going to be a first-round draft pick, but he's got physical skills that a first-round draft pick have. Now he also makes some bonehead decisions. And so that, I actually like Dow Loggins coming in because – he has a pro-style background, but being with Kendall Bryles, I think it's going to be a very mix of learning how to simplify verbiage so your back can play faster, um, simplify his thought process, but also have pretty much what I call like whole concepts to where the pro-style whole concepts that can work against any type of coverage. Um, but I still don't have to figure it out, which is crazy. I think he's like my favorite Vanderbilt quarterback ever, Jay Cutler. Yes, 100, because you're like, dude, this – one throw, he's the most talented guy I've seen. The other throw, you're like, dude, what are you doing? Why would you do that? You've played a lot of fall. So I, I think that you know, what's interesting going to be, we're going to learn a lot about Georgia and South Carolina. What is that, three, week two, when they play? Two or three when they play? Because if Spencer is 80% of what he was against Clemson and Tennessee last year, look out. I mean, it'll, it could be fun. Uh, Georgia's much better. But that's an early test for Carson Beck, maybe if they face some adversity and Spencer gets him up a little bit in the first half. Who knows? The Jimbo offensive transition with Bobby Petrino. I'm fascinated by how they talk about it. What's it going to look like for a quarterback? Do you guys actually know who's going to be calling plays? Does that stuff matter? Put yourself in the shoes of Connor Wigman, who we're expecting to be the starter at AM this year. If you were going back and forth with those two guys, and those two guys, let's let's just throw out the hypothetical where they're they're going at on the sideline and they can't figure out who's what. It's different than Saban Kiffin, because Kiffin still has total autonomy on the offensive side of the ball, but he's got Saban saying, hey, run the football. How do you handle that? Put yourself in that position of, like, as a quarterback, are you listening to mom or are you listening to dad? It's not fun. I, I've been in not, a, not entirely similar, but me and James Franklin, my junior year, did not really get along on the field. I don't mean that in a bad way, but I was probably a little more stubborn than I probably should have been, and he was um, – he was very dramatic on the sideline. Like, if something went bad, it was, oh, my God, yeah, screaming, yelling, not in a negative way. He just, he was very, you see him on the sideline. He is what he is, right? I am so like, hey, I just threw a pick. Okay, let me logically think this through. Let me, hey, I'm going to tell you what I saw. Like, I'm like, don't get too high, don't get too low. So we didn't, didn't communicate very well on the sideline. And so I, I leaned on my quarterback coach a lot more in the OC because just we talked to the same. So if you have two coaches that are, are maybe not arguing, but buddy heads on what to, what to call, how to coach, like what they want to emphasize, right? It's not that they're disagreeing, but maybe they want to focus on one thing or other. That's tough. And I, I am fascinated by Jimbo every time he gets at the podium and even attempts to answer the question, who's going to call plays? Because if you heard him at the – I mean, obviously you heard everything in the offseason. Like you couldn't step on your on conversation anymore. Like, And then he gets up at the podium here and – He's like, oh, well, yeah, you, uh, you know, Bobby will call a lot of them. Uh, and then he kind of cut himself in. And, and, well, you know, yeah, I'm comfortable. So he started to say that Bobby's going to call a lot of the plays. So not all of them. What is it? Is he going to call some of them or all of them? Because I've had situations, Gus Malzahn and Rhett Lashley, Kiffin at times early as a head coach, those two guys would take over play calling at certain times of the game, kind of out 
notice. Or one or two games, like, no, I'm going to call this game. It's just, it's hard to do. You can't do that. As a quarterback, you one voice. You want your OC to also know that when he calls this play, he's calling the next play, and he set up something, and someone's not going to go, yeah, no, call this. That changes your flow as an OC. So, uncomfortable. I'm going to wrap this conversation up, but we can talk more about it. I don't care who calls plays because what I care about, and I've said this, and I think it is as clear and as concise as I put it, I don't think A&M has a plays problem. I don't think they have an offensive problem. I think they have a presentation problem. I don't think Jimbo's offense is broken. I think Jimbo's offense got lazy, it got stale, and it did do it did do anything before the snap to stress the defense. No motions, no shifts. They weren't very diverse in their personal grouping. They didn't use tempo hardly enough. And I tracked their tempo the first seven games of last season. They had 17 total plays in seven games that they snapped within 30 seconds. That's not enough. That's not enough. <laughs> no. And then towards the end of the year, they started to do a little more RPO, a little bit tempo, not a ton, as much as they should have with Wigman. And you just simplify things, and he plays better. So wrap that up. A&M's offense is extremely complex. Jimbo's system is complex, but they presented it in a simple way. They need to simplify the offense and present it in a complex way so guys can play faster and you make the defense the breakdown that you and Cole did, was it the, you guys did a breakdown during, was it the South Carolina game where it was pretty much on air? Like, you're like, hey, this is when they're running tempo. This is when they run RPO. And it was as in-depth of a breakdown. Like, this is exactly what I've been waiting for somebody to come out today. But you guys obviously have the eye that, that I don't, you know, understand this game at a different sort of level. You heard from A&M after that. There's no doubt in my mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's the balance of doing so it. So, like, having this job is tough because it's not tough. It's a great job. What I mean is you just have to be careful. It's like I, I know football well, and I think I'm not sure when it was. The one you're referencing, there was one time definitely, whether it's this one or not, where we could tell, and for weeks we had held this, going, I don't know if we can do that on air. Like, what you know, but the way the splits of the offensive line were directly dictating run or pass, and it was blatant to me. And so at some point I just go, you know what, like, all the coaches on the field are a lot smarter than me. Like, I feel like I know football. Those guys are smarter. They have seen it. So you know what? I'm going to say it. Because every time they're in this type of split, it's a run. And every time they're in this type of split, it's a pass. And I just, I've been talking about why they're struggling, and I want to show this because, like, here you go. Here's one reason. If I'm seeing it, they, they saw it, we go. Because I'm not that smart. Like, I'm not, I know football. But those coaches know more football than I do. So it's balance of, like, teaching football and making sure you're not, like, burn these coaches because I want to have a good relationship with all these coaches and I hope they respect no football and I hope that they think I don't just like make things to get at them because I don't like I just kind of talk how I feel and sometimes it rubs people the wrong way and sometimes it doesn't well I found it fascinating and I thought it was I thought it was a really interesting breakdown but I definitely right after I heard you say that I'm like they definitely got a phone call from that that was not something that was probably received well because it was too insightful Can I tell you the worst one I think I think I know the story but go ahead the Auburn and Gus on I know this story because you've told me this story. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but please tell me the statute of limitations is up. Holy hell. Um, yeah, that was one of the breakdowns I did COVID in my, in my office at my house. Um, I was breaking down Auburn's five-man prediction because you could tell against Georgia that they weren't um, adjusting based on defensive leverage. So they would slide their protection to the – I can't remember if it was the field or the boundary, but every time they had a protection, they would slide it to the field. Or a lot of teams do that. It's not, it's not new. When you're doing five-man protection, the quarterback has to have the ability to go, wait a minute, there's four guys over here and one guy over here. We have to slide away, right? Even though we're set to slide the other way. I just did a breakdown going, hey, it's obvious that Bo Nix doesn't have the ability to change the protection. 
because you tell there's four guys over here, they're still sliding this way. They shouldn't be doing that. They wouldn't be doing that if he had the opportunity or just adjusting based off numbers. And Malzahn called Greg Sankey and was cussing at him. And Greg called me going, I just want to let you know, like, I've never heard Gus say a curse word in my life. And he was yelling. And he's like, look, I watched the video. And, and I made, I knew it was something that would splash. So I made sure that I, I didn't want to blame Bo for a decision. He just doesn't have the, the offense doesn't allow him to change, which is somewhat normal. But at some point in the game, he got an adjustment. I also didn't say Gus. I didn't, I didn't want to name anybody. I said, hey. This is a protection a lot of teams run. Here's how they usually run it, how Auburn did. But at some point in the game when a defense does this, you have to do this. It, it didn't go well. Um, I, I, funny enough, I had them the very next week. And so coaches were very interesting, um, had uh, some choice words delivered to me. But I just said, hey, you know, I, I'm to do my job. I understand if that didn't make you happy, probably wouldn't be happy either. But hey, was I wrong? That's when crickets happened. And I was like, yeah, see, okay. I'd like the record to show I held that story in for two years. You told me that two years oh, ago yeah, at Kentucky, right. yeah, and I didn't tell anybody publicly. I was like, look, I'm going to keep that. I'm going to keep that one in the vault. We're going to lock that one away. And the day will come in which you want to share those on air, share that on airwaves. And here we are. It's, there's some funny stuff. Football is funny, man. There's Coaches are paranoid, and they always think the media is out to get them, and we're not. I try not to make things. I mean, I sorry. Don't make things personal. But I gotta point out bad football, and I gotta put good football. Otherwise, people can't trust me. You know what I mean? So it's it's it is what it is. Okay. One last thing to get you out of here on. Um, I want one one prediction. You can do Heisman. You can do national champion. You can do a division winner that isn't Georgia. Because um, it's it's not it's not exciting to say Bama or LSU either one of those it's like yeah okay whatever um, but give me give me like your your bold prediction that you've been workshopping because I don't think your back rankings are gonna necessarily move the needle in that sort of way if you don't have them ready by media days. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll go. I believe that. Oh, do I want to say this? Fire away. I mean, I, I think I think Joe Milton is going to play his way into being in New York. Um, I think he will be in the conversation of being a top 10 draft pick, should top 15. Um, if it was two years ago, if I would have said that, and um, here's my justification. I think Joe Milton is the most physically gifted quarterback I've ever watched in person. Now, you know, I think I've said this before, like having a strong arm isn't a prerequisite to play football, or excuse me, to play quarterback. I didn't have a strong arm. I'm not Joe Milton, and I wasn't super good anyway, but it sure helps at times, right? Have you ever done the Ikea furniture? Maybe the little Allen wrench takes you an hour and a half to do every little. Well, if you had a power tool, it'd probably go a little quicker. So it helps. I do love the fact that when I watch him, I have seen a tremendous amount of growth in his eyes and his ability to be accurate quickly accurate like suddenly make a decision move off a read and be accurate on the intermediate throw because the big throws the 70 yard bombs that are stupid that he can make because he can throw 80 plus yards like that's a fact he can do that that changes things for a defense but where Hendricker excelled was when you flip on the tape those in-breaking dig routes the in-breaking slants where he right on the money so Jalen Hyde didn't have to break stride and he was gone to the house so Joe can do that um they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna put up some serious points. And I think, I think if Anthony Richardson was able to play himself into the conversation and be a top draft pick, there's absolutely no way that Joe Milton won't do that because he's every bit as gifted as a thrower. Probably already, maybe already, but definitely will have better tape 
throwing the ball than Anthony did last year, right? Now Anthony's a frequent to running and like jumping. Joe is too, maybe not that extent. So I think Joe Milton is pretty to look at when he throws the football, but I think he's he's going to show that he is a lot more than that. Um, and I think he's playing himself into a, just a freakish year that's be uh, capped by something crazy when it comes to NFL draft next year. Yeah, we won't clip that at all. Oh, no. that's. And just so you know, I can't wait for this to be wrong, and we'll be talking about it last year. No, but I, you know what? I like. I've been around guys that have strong arms, never seen one like that, and then when I just go back and watch the tape, I – Vanderbilt, he was all over the place. They were going bombs away and big-time misses. But when I go back and just consistently watch him from when he was competing with Hennon Hooker to what he did last year, like the growth in the intermediate stage I think is huge. Um, Dante Orton, the Oregon transfer, I think they rave about. Didn't get to see him in the spring. Um, he was banged up, but I kept asking the coaches, like, does he have the juice that Hyatt does? Like, can he go like Hyatt? And they're like, yes, every bit. Squirrel White's a dude. That dude's going to be fun to watch. Brew is good. I think, I think I was never as high as everybody on Brew. Brew's a good receiver. Like, he is a quality, good number two at any SEC school. Uh, Ramel Keaton, a player. So, I think they're going to I think they're gonna f- double down on what they did last year. Vanderbilt predicts big things for Tennessee guy. I know. What the hell? Jeez. Well, how about this? Vanny's going to make a bowl game. Oh, I mean, got to. Did you see the schedule? I mean, come on. I, look, uh, I think the over-under is, what, three and a half? Yeah, I hammered the over on College Football Live earlier. They got four non-cons to start. UNLV at UNLV, tricky. At Wake will be tricky, but neither of those teams are good as – Wake's not as good as they've been. Uh, they're, getting, they're getting six. They're getting six. Let's go. All right, that was more bold than the Joe Milton thing, I think. I don't think I have any other bold takes. We'll leave that. That's fine. We'll come, we'll come back to it. Yeah. I'll let you, you – you've got a million things going on. You've got to answer one of your 1,200 unanswered texts, unread texts, which is a, it's the highest number I've ever heard. That's it's, pretty impressive. It's my toxic trip. It totally <laughs> is, 100%. Jordan, appreciate it, man. The first, I saw you downstairs. I was like, oh, my God. You, you could probably see how genuine it was in my face that, like, I saw you and totally realized, oh, my God, he did text me. I totally meant to text back. It wasn't like, oh, hey, yeah. You know, I was like, shit. <laughs> I, I've, I've talked to Brooks, who does phenomenal work for ESPN PR. I talked about this with her before. Of Like, you are the ultimate like difficult person to track down via text. Now, if you get somebody like that, that's like important. But I, and then I remind myself, the amount of people that are pulling you in different directions is like, I like a text that's sitting on my phone, like for my wife right now, saying probably just a picture of my baby and that's about it. <laughs> you, you have like, I mean, JoJo just started an alcohol company. You've got your show that you're doing. You've like this, you've got that. You've got this entire thing that you're here all week. Like you were pulled in more directions than any, than I will be pulled in my entire life combined. So no harm, no foul. You're good. Appreciate it. So we're still good. No Jake from beef. <laughs> Let's go. Thanks, man. We sure have come a long way, man. We really have. This is the great redemption story of SEC Days. It truly is. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring it out, we're talking about ride-sharing experiences today. Um, so, Will, on Thursday, coming back from SEC Media Days, long week. Nashville was great. Had an awesome time. If you didn't see the karaoke video that John Neighbors put up, check it out. A certain drink in my hand that I performed with my with my guy Ty Richardson and crushed was omitted from this montage, but that's okay. Mm. Neither here nor there. Um also did a little country roads realized I didn't know any of the words to that song outside of the chorus irrelevant who does I don't mm-hmm. know um 
but yeah, so Nashville was great. All that stuff. My guy, Brad Crawford and I were, were in an Uber going to the airport from, uh, from the Grand Hyatt, like, which is right in the heart of downtown Nashville and 4.30 on a Thursday afternoon with all that construction around was bad. Uber pulls up. Car had been through some stuff. Let's just say that. It's <laughs> a survivor. Like, the car is a survivor. I don't know how many. Let, let's just say I don't know if it's if it's going to be seeing multiple leap years, this car. Okay. And this, this, this guy who was, you know, high Uber rating, re- checks out really well. Uh, get in the car. Skeptical from the jump. And then we see the way that he drives around this construction and around this traffic. And Brad and I had probably four or five different instances in which we looked at each other and went, are we going to make it to the airport in this vehicle? Or are we about to be in an accident? It was that kind of drive. And that's kind of the worst because if you're driving with somebody that you know, a friend, a family member, somebody that drives pretty reckless, you can say to them, hey, how about considering that you have other human beings in this car who Mm -hmm. are like at your mercy and would like to survive the end of this car ride? How about that? You can say those things to those people because they're people that you know. Or if you can't say those things to those people, you at least think them. With this guy, there's nothing you can say. There's just nothing. There's nothing you can say. I would be saying plenty of things. When he turns into oncoming traffic mm-hmm. and cuts off like th- a three-lane road that is at peak levels of pissed off because of construction, because construction is everywhere in Nashville, mm-hmm. you say to yourself, this guy doesn't fear anything. And I hate that. That moment is when you're like, you pucker a little tight and you say to yourself, we're going to be in for an experience. That guy is not a fan of you guys getting enough air back there. You guys getting some AC. Never mind the fact that it's in the nineties. You guys getting any AC? Nope. 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 That guy does not consider that. He is just getting you from point A to point B. And somehow by the grace of God, he did, did not think that we were going to get there accident free. And then it was kind of weird. We actually like, we get out of the car, this like very stressful Uber drive and get into the airport and we're expecting like just how traffic was. We're expecting it to be like that in the airport. And we just walk right up to security, just not a line whatsoever. Orlando could learn a thing or two about that. Atlanta could learn a thing or two about that. And so we just walk right through security. I like, wasn't ready to have my ID out mm-hmm. because I was like, surely a single human being will be in line ahead of me. And there was not that, mm-hmm. but this experience made me kind of wonder like, what's the protocol for saying something to an Uber driver in that spot. Because if you say anything about the quality of their driving, you have to be willing to acknowledge your rating is going down on Uber. Like your personal rating, mine is currently a 4.99. I take great pride in that. Mm-hmm. I'd like anybody to be able to pick me up at any given time and not ever question the person that they're going to let in their car. You put that up for grabs. And I don't know what this guy's into. He's clearly not afraid of getting into a wreck because his car has been through some stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he's just going to start driving even more aggressively or if he's going to break even harder. I don't know. I didn't have answers in that moment. And I didn't like that. I didn't have answers in that moment. How would you have handled that situation? That's when it's time for, for a priorities realignment meeting. That's when you go, Hey, so just to let you know, the most important thing for me in this ride is a comfortable ride. Okay. Not necessarily getting to my destination in the quickest possible way. 
So if you want to take that, just know you don't have to go this type of fast. I'm going to give you a great rating, bro. And then hit him with that. You know, let him know that, you know, it's more about, you know, you feeling, you know. And then if he goes, were you saying that I'm driving recklessly? He'd be like, you know, a bit. Um, I think we could work on that a little bit. Just me as a, as a rider, you know, and that's the worst it's going to get from that standpoint. You just hit him with a priorities realignment, man, because he wants to be rated well as well. So you just got to kind of, you know, leverage that. I think he's still going to take that knock against you. He knows at that point that you're not going to give him the five stars. So he's he's just going to be like, oh, you, you, you are an awful ride. This has been terrible. I probably think about that too much. I, I'm, I'm admitting that, but mm-hmm. you're right. What's four nine nine versus four nine eight? If four nine eight means survival, <laughs> yeah. I also like. I don't even. I don't know what my Uber. I hate to do bad radio here, but I'm pretty sure if I sign into Uber, it's just because it's tell me in the top right here. Yeah, mine is. Let me. Okay, at living a life where I'm not sure. I just looked this up. I'm at four eight seven. Okay, that's not bad. That's not um, bad. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I have never thought about that once in my life. So the margin of error between those two is so high that maybe if it's the last ride of a nice person's life, or night, I mean, that last ride of a nice person's night, they would take you and not me. But also, it's never stopped me from getting a ride. So that's that's what I would say is just, you got a couple freebies in there. That's how I do your sure. record. <laughs> you're right. You're probably right. Everybody at home, just pull up the app. And maybe if you're a Lyft person, I don't know how this works on Lyft, but if you just mm-hmm. open Uber... And if you just go straight into accounts, bottom right, mm-hmm. and it'll see up upper, at least on an iPhone, upper left-hand corner, you can see what your rating is just, just right there. I would love to know the person who didn't give me five stars. Right. I don't need to have a conversation with that person. Does it keep me up at? No, it doesn't keep me up at night. <laughs> but would I love to go back in time and picture what it was that actually led to that? Because I've only had Uber post-college. So like when I wasn't probably a total douchebag. Um in my in my instances of actually being that person that gave somebody else a terrible ride, it was like, I mean, I talk for a living. Right. It, I don't I don't necessarily find myself in spots where I'm forcing conversation with people. I usually like to let them dictate it. Every once in a while, though, those trips to the airport when I get an Uber driver at five in the morning who just wants to talk and talk and talk and talk. Like I had this one guy when I was going to Lexington, and. This this man, bless his heart, put on his blowers the entire time because he was defrosting. I don't know what he was doing. It's like it's mm-hmm. humidity, but you you don't need it for for that long. Like had heat blowing in this car, not AC, and just wanted to talk for this entire <laughs> thirty five minute ride to the airport. And I'm like, man, I'm still gonna give you five stars because I'm a beta, but this this experience has not been pleasant for me. I need you to know that. He didn't know that. He just continued on his day. I'm an enabler. I'm an Uber enabler mm-hmm. is is what I am. And I, I'm sorry. I'm probably making somebody else's ride that much worse because I'm not strong-willed enough to put my foot down and say, no, this is unacceptable behavior. I am paying for a service. I need yeah. to grow up, man. Look, I'm telling you, here's how I do that. You got a 3-0 count, okay? You got a 499 rating, okay? You can take... Three or four zero-star reviews. Not a one, not a two, but a horrible view that you're never going to get, okay? To, to the point where you're even where I'm at, which is still a 497 if you have that many you know rides. So, yeah, I would I would view it like the world's your oyster because you've already put in the time. You have tenure. Um, I'll say my worst Uber ride is like pretty clear. I will say if you've ever tried to leave Truist Park uh, after probably the first season that the Braves were there when they built that terrible 
like Uber pickup line. There have been plenty of times where I've left like blowouts early where I'm just like, I know I can get an Uber right now. And if I waited later in the night, it would take me hours. Uh, the issue with that is that like, and not to like, you know, make any type of statements or anything, but a, a ton of people that drive Uber, like maybe English isn't their first language and you got to have a conversation with them to explain to them how this very strange thing at the rave stadium works and it's like you have to like go all the way around to take a u-turn like do all this stuff and if you miss me you have to like come like i gotta cancel the ride basically because it's not even worth my time and so you end up trying to like really explain stuff to people and if you're at a baseball game with the boys you might have a couple of beers so that experience i totally just deleted that like going out the battery i barely even do it anymore in case one unless one of my friends is a dd and i also ripped the top off my jeep over there in a parking garage that was incorrectly marked not too long ago so it has to be one of my boys at the dd so it's like that whole battery experience is kind of like something I don't do. I will tell you uh, one very funny or one very weird story that, that happened like uh, a while back. So we were driving. Uh, I'm going to try to not implicate any of my friends here. We're going from somewhere to somewhere uh, with one of my friends. And we were we had bought train tickets, but we had been out at bars. And we were like, well, we can't figure out a train at this level of inebriation. This is in college. And we don't want to get a drunken disorderly, which would call, which would be caused by us being like, where do we go at the train station? Yep. So we just called an Uber. And we called an Uber. I would say five minutes into the ride, one of my buddies just barfed on the floor. That's um, the worst. Oh, yeah. He barfed on the floor. And I am, I've always been the political, like the senator for my group. And so it's we're in there. And I'm just like, all right, I have to convince this Uber guy not to kick us out. Uh, because we had already gotten out of the city we were in. We were like in like out of the metro area, just far enough out to where an Uber would have been very hard to call. And I was like, listen, I'm going to tip you really fat. That's what I always say when someone is messed up. I'm going to tip you fat. Just this isn't, hey, this isn't my account. This isn't my fault. This is my buddy. I'm trying to be the adult here. He obviously, it's good that we found you in this amount of time. Had the nicest, deepest conversation during this, like, because he lived like, like the place that we were staying at was like a, 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 what's the word suburb of the city so i was like okay like we got to go all the way out to here to do this so i was just learning about this guy's life just kept him talking the whole time while i was still pretty hammered and again this is in college and my buddy is like passed out because i don't want him to have the very logical reaction of like dude get out of my car like get out of here so i have to like sit there and i'm just like yeah man so what sports teams are you a fan of that dude could have said alabama atlanta falcons memphis grizzlies i would be like oh my gosh i respect those teams so much dude could have said (laughs) isis and you you're like, let's keep the conversation going, man. They've got some really nice perimeter players. <laughs> Likely they picked up in the draft. <laughs> I think if somebody pukes in your car, you have every right to kick them out. Yeah. Right there on the spot. And I, we Get both out. knew that. I was like, please, Get out. Bro. <laughs> like, that is, to me, there is nothing worse than that. And I'm so glad that I missed that, that time in my life. Because back mm-hmm. in college, yeah, there were probably a few instances where actually, you know what, come to think of it, I live close enough to walk every single time to the mm-hmm. bars from, from where we were. But there were probably a couple of times in my early adult life in which, yeah, like if I had gotten into one of those things, especially with, you know, like you get into some of these Ubers and it's just too hot, just too hot, man. Mm-hmm. Let, let me be cold. I dare you to let me be cold. Please. Coward, I, let me be cold. <laughs> if I'm cold, I'm gonna let you, I, I'll, I'll have you turn it down. But the, the moment I have to say to you, Please, can you get me some AC back here? It's too late. Mm-hmm. It's too late. You've already you've already brought on the nausea. Also, don't pull out your phone in somebody else's car. Don't do that either, because mm-hmm. that's going to make you more nauseous. Don't do it. I've yep. learned that lesson too. 
It'll make you car sick in a hurry. All right. But I'll say the, this just real quick. You got to factor in that my rating is that high. Factoring in, controlling for my dumb drunk friends as well. True. Because I'm not usually the one getting the bad stars. It's like, that's a great example of I didn't do anything wrong. So yeah, I think you got a couple in the tank. I think if you really just want to care in somebody, you'll be fine. Okay. All right. And if I go viral, whatever. Mm-hmm. Gone viral for worse. Dave Cozart says, my wife and I took one to and from a wedding this weekend. So we were just talking about some of these things. If I'm with someone, I say non-conversation with the driver. But if I'm solo, I don't mind as long as it's not over the top. My biggest gripe is when you're in an unfamiliar city and they drop you off in a random spot and expect you to figure it out. Happened to us in Louisville one time trying to go to 4th Street Live. The driver dropped us off in a back alley and said, here you go. Luckily, we eventually found it, but it was definitely unsettling at the time. Yeah. Um, if you're being dropped off at a place that you don't know and you get out, you have every right to ask that Uber driver, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where are we again? Like, where are we? Like you, you can ask the dumb question Mm -hmm. because they know their city inside and out. If they're driving around it, there are certain things that they see that, that you don't ask that dumb question in that spot every single time. Ask that dumb question. Yeah. If you're, if you're alone conversation, it can come and go. It can come and go. It's fine. I don't need it. Depending on the mood, don't mind it. If you're with a group, group is going to have that conversation. If drivers haven't tr- trying to have conversation with a group, that's a knock against the driver. Don't try and get involved in this. This isn't your thing. Let let us let us deal with this. We've got you outnumbered, guy mm-hmm. or girl. All right. Uh, let's go to this one. Okay. Wait. If you got if you got a weak stomach, this might not be the one for you from our guy Emery. <laughs> Emery's Emery's got when a horse. When you hear Emery, you need to just guard your. Lo- you need to just be sure. Make sure all your kids are strapped away. Make sure you're ready because he's gonna say something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Emery's wife Kelsey drives occasionally drives Uber on holidays and stuff in Savannah when we aren't doing anything. Uh, grind never stops. He's got two bad stories. He says, first time someone puked in her car, she discovered the guy was having one last party night before turning himself into jail for an unknown reason. (laughs) After he puked in her car, uh, it was so bad. She stopped at the Buffalo Wild Wings next to the hotel he was in, and I came to pick her up. Uber charged the guy a cleaning fee and passed it to her. We call the guy to clean the car in the Buffalo Wild Wings parking lot. That must have been really bad. Um, The next time, this college-age girl acted like she wasn't acted like she was going to puke before she got into the car. So Kelsey warned her, if you puke in my car, I'm going to kick you out. Fair. And you're right. Perfectly fair. <laughs> As we've discussed. The ride is three blocks. One block into the three block ride, the girl pukes everywhere. The girl then begs to continue the ride. She was dropped on the curve and charged a cleaning fee. Moral of the story, if you're going to puke in an Uber, warn the driver. They'd rather pull over than have to get their car cleaned. Also, you're an a-hole for puking in someone's car. Yes. Um... But what if you're an accomplice to the puking? Then what, Kelsey? Then what if you're doing the best you can? Okay. (laughs) This is this is the exact reason why I will never drive Uber. Like, Mm -hmm. we'll never do it. And and that's not like I know I know a bunch of people that do it and that like it and it's great. And if you kind of set the hours, you never have to worry about anything like that. But if that type of thing happened to me once, I would say to myself, Nope, nope, I'm done. Can't do this. Can't do this anymore. This isn't worth it. Do not want to deal with any human being, any stranger who just like doesn't have to deal with this. And I just have to handle this situation that they have just brought on me. That is mm, not my level of stress that I want to deal with ever. Mm. Was there a conversation kind of in the pre baby conversations where you're like, you know, we might need a little bump in the finances, you know, maybe I'll drive Uber. Did you, you guys never like, we're like thinking about that. No, everybody worries about money, but 
and and I'm not I'm not knocking anybody who does. Like I've right, my yeah. uncle my uncle when he retired started driving Uber, dri- mm-hmm. driving for Uber and and loves it absolutely mm-hmm. loves it and drives people to the airport all the time. Meets some really really interesting people. It's just a nice way to be able to fill the day. Like doesn't really, doesn't do it for the money. Doesn't need the money. I I just wouldn't wouldn't be able to do it for that reason alone. Just the thought of someone up chucking in my back seat. Nope. I think you smell it. Yeah. The cleaning fee is whatever. I bet it's not enough to get that out. But yeah, I bet it's not enough. No. I way. was just making sure there wasn't a specific conversation because I'd love to see how that played out. But no, never mind. No. Can't do that. Uh, let's do this one from Jonathan Mason. Jonathan says, in September of 2015, some friends and I flew to Kansas City for the Chiefs home opener against the Broncos. All four of us were huge Vols fans, and it was Peyton Manning's last season and Eric Berry's first game back from cancer. Oh, I think mm-hmm. I remember that. Easy decision for a guy's trip. The Uber driver to the game was a young international college student, and she gave us one of the scariest rides of our lives. There were several near misses between downtown Kansas City and Arrowhead, and I took the picture attached because I'm quite sure a prior a prior rider had ripped her O blank handles out of the ceiling due to the driver's shortfalls. In other words, they were holding on for dear life and they ripped mm-hmm. them out because they were holding on so hard. The moment we were off the highway and hit game traffic, we bailed the car, which I believe was a tiny Kia or Hyundai and started running towards the parking lot. We saw and heard several traffic stops yelling that we couldn't get out there. But one of my friends yelled back that it was the only safe option for us. <laughs> if we there survived, are no, buddy. There's nothing you, you could tell me. Big time survivor. If there mm-hmm. are no grab handles and there should be, find a new ride. So much like I debated seeing this car that had had some stuff, like had been through some stuff. If you get into this car, you open the door and you see that there are those handles that are just gone. They're not there. They've been ripped out. I think it probably much to just say, no, I can't get in. I don't know that you can explain that. And who knows? Maybe at that point, all you know is they had to move a large couch into their car. Pivot. Maybe they did. I don't know. But once you sense that there's probably a reason that they don't have those handles, mm-hmm. I think I think Jonathan followed the exact right strategy. Once you get to that place where you realize, I can walk, I'm fine, I'm going to get out, that's what you do. When Brad and I got to the airport, like the, the place where people were at the very beginning of, of departures, we're like, yeah, we'll just get out. We'll just get out. We're good. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see this guy navigate four lane traffic, which is bumper to bumper stuff going on right now. I had one time when I was going to O'Hare and my Uber driver did actually get like his mirror taken off. Like somebody just hit his mirror right mm-hmm. as I'm getting out. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. Bye. I'm like, I, I don't know. Uh... What do you do? Right. What do you do in that moment? Like uh, ah, that, that, that seems like a you problem. I'm sorry that happened. Have a nice life. I, I don't know. It's it's a weird transaction, man. Like hey, being in a serious Uber accident would probably be quite the experience. Quite. The you would experience. just immediately call a different Uber. You'd be like, I'm sorry, bro. I cannot deal with the awkwardness of all of this. I've already said, oh, I'm out. <laughs> and then if you're the other Uber driver pulling up and you see this. You have that thought in the back of your mind. I wonder if this person is just going to give me some bad luck and I'm about to get into an accident. Hopefully mm-hmm. not. I would have that thought go through my head for sure. Oh, maybe this person is just a really bad passenger. Just really distracting, does stuff the entire time. I'm sure that wouldn't happen, but you get what I'm saying. 
I just want to call attention to the best part of Jonathan's story, which is the group pick of all of his friends who are all in different stages of distress from this ride. So like on one end, you have Jonathan, who's just like, this is a regular picture. I'm just going to smile. And then you have his buddy in the Peyton Manning shirt, who looks like he's having the worst day of his freaking life. And he's just like, we almost died. Why do you want to take a picture right now? And like, oh. It seems like these four dudes are from four different realities with how yes. they process this, this thing. So that's always great when you have a nice little picture with a story. Uh, always document your traumatic experiences. Very, mm-hmm. very well done. Let's end with this one from Derek Walden. Uh, Derek's got three stories. Let's let's not do all three. Three's kind of a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Let's 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 go with the first one here. Okay. Uh, Derek says, "Bachelor party in Atlanta. Driver picks us up and asks if we've asks us if we've pregamed. Then asked if we wanted a drink. He had Jello shots in a cooler under the seat." Five dollars a pop. Don't think that's legal. <laughs> then asked if we wanted a mixed drink. He has airplane shooters in the glove box and was mixing drinks for us and him while driving. <sighs> Derek, you survived. You survived. Be grateful. Uh, that that person has probably had at least someone say in a review, like. <sighs> Thought everything was fine. Like it was totally great. You know, those red stories, like everything about my boyfriend is perfectly fine. He just has this one little thing. He's obsessed with Hello Kitty. Right. Like like everything about the car ride was great. It was really comfortable. It was spacious, but like he was serving us shooters out of this cooler. (laughs) It got really weird in a hurry. At some point, someone has given this guy that review and it's either gone overlooked with his bosses at Uber they don't just search for something like that. Like the mm-hmm. second they see anything alcohol related, they're like, you're out of a job. You're not doing this for us anymore. But he's playing with fire. That's a matter of time. That's going to happen at some point. Is this gentleman Cajun? Because that radically changes how I view the story. Oh, it sounds like it. <laughs> and are no, you I... sure you got into a car <laughs> And this wasn't just like one of those stationary buses or like a boat where he's the captain and you're and you and you were maybe so inebriated where you didn't realize like you're sure this was an actual Uber mm-hmm. where this guy was operating a vehicle with civilians' lives in danger. Like you're 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 sure. Yeah, I unfortunately would love this Uber ride. I feel like that's probably my side of danger. I'm like, bro, I'll mix the drink for you. Don't you worry. Just keep those eyes on the road. We got je- don't worry about the mixed drink, bro. We got jello shots and we get a refund on that. You can have that one. Don't worry. If everything about that until the point where he's he's mixing drinks himself, which, that's a five star review. Until he was mixing the drinks himself, that's what I'm saying. I would simply have just not ordered a mixed drink at an Uber. I think that might actually kind of be on you. This guy needs a bartender. That's all this guy needs. Yeah, if this guy a gets a bartender, yeah. if this guy just gets a bartender, yes, what he's doing is very illegal still, mm-hmm. but it totally changes the game. If he just pays someone to sit in the front seat and do all the illegal stuff for him, mm-hmm. and they maybe are at risk of a certain open container thing or something like that, then I think you're good. Got to keep got to keep your driver away from from mixing and drinking the alcohol. That's just mm-hmm. maybe maybe that's just me. I don't know. Should we end with some lad of the week? Well, let's do it, man. You want to go first? Yeah, I got a I got a last of the week. Let's hear it. It's my lovely wife. It is Lauren. Um, Lauren for taking care of a seven and a half week old baby for four days. Got some mm-hmm. nice help from got a little help from our friends. We did, which was great. But doing that for four consecutive days um, without like family here or anything like that, you no, know, it was really difficult and 
very, very appreciative. It was a come home and we're, we're going to, we're going to spend some time with the family all weekend, everything that we're doing. Um, put, put Twitter away for, for a couple of days, have an open mean threads X. in a week. Oh, X, my bad. Not Twitter anymore. Gosh, how could I forget? Such an old thing to say. Um, I've not adapted with the times, but yes, did a tremendous job. Kept Claire alive, which is good. That was the biggest yeah. goal, the number one goal. Um, so yeah, shout out to Lauren for doing the Lord's work while obviously I was able to, to function at SEC media days, big, big week in terms of the content game. And was very grateful to be able to do that and have her pulling some extra duty. She's already said like, I'm just going to leave on a weekend next year and you're just going to be, you'll just like take care of Claire. I just won't tell you where I'm going. Just, mm-hmm. just bounce and it'll just be all you and we'll figure it out. And you know what? She's kind of right. And I'll do that. And I'll take that that responsibility on. It's not babysitting if it's your own kid. Remember That's that. facts. It's just, yes. yeah. I mean, she's kind of like in the kind of a Pat Mahomes category where she keeps winning MVPs, but they all feel deserved. So big shout out to Lauren. Yeah, I'm Travis um, Kelsey in this situation then, for sure. Yeah, so there similar you go. facial hair, similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Yeah, no, I, th- I think Travis Kelsey for sure. Um, So yeah, mine is a completely different tone shift. And that's why I was like, I bet you need to go first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Did you see the tweet with the Reddit post from Kevin Clark? Uh, let's see. What was this yesterday? I'll, Kevin I'll just... Clark for, Kevin Clark from The Ringer? Yes. Like me I'll... some Kevin Clark. Fellow Magic fan. Yes. Yes. So I'll, I'll go ahead and read this. Kevin Clark's uh, kind of caption to this photo is, you either fully understand this guy or cannot comprehend this line of thinking at all. Nothing in between. Nothing. All right, so let me read the post. It is from the r slash golf subreddit by user subreddit. Post title, can I golf with night vision? General discussion. So here's the deal. I live about 200 yards from from a municipal course that's very walkable and I'm very familiar with. I have young children and it's difficult for me to golf as much as I'd like. Yes. I have a season pass that allows me to golf as much and whenever I would like. <laughs> would it be incredibly unethical to buy night vision optics and play at night between the hours of 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. regularly with high quality night vision optics? Question mark. Go ahead. Connor. Here's the only here's the only thing that you have to consider for this. The only thing. Everything else is irrelevant because the factors that he has described suggest he believes he can do this. And so we got that part taken care of. Yeah. The only thing that you have to worry about, are you willing to when you have the cops called on you? Not if, but when you have the cops called on you because somebody's going to hear something they're going to get a little mm-hmm. bit creeped out they're going to be like there's this guy with like night vision goggles who maybe he's going to rob my house i don't know what he's doing mm-hmm. back there you're going to have the cops called on you are you okay in that moment saying to the cop what you're doing are you willing to say to him i've got young kids mm-hmm. i know this course really well i just wanted to be able to get a quick 9 in that's all I wanted to be able to do. Are you willing to look law enforcement in the eye mm-hmm. and give that answer? Because if the answer is yes, then that's 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 it. That's all you need to know. You have this taken care of. Godspeed. Hopefully you don't hit any windows. But you know what? I do that during the day. So who really cares? Do what so, you got to do and take care of it. Everything will be fine. I salute you. You got to sign up for Toastmasters or at least get a tight five elevator speech because I totally agree with you. You know, that is the difference between you going to jail and you ending up in super bad with that cop being like, you know what? I agree with you. I'm going to yep. go play a quick three with you and just don't tell anybody. Um, anyway, the rest of the post is I'm in my 30s. 
a 10.4 handicap, and I love walking the course, fixing my divots, and respecting my course. Also, if anyone has any recommendations of optics, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Wife is on board. Um, what was going through your mind when you made this post, Connor? Uh, <laughs> I do live pretty close to a, to a public course. Um, not, not close enough to where I have any sort of familiarity with it, but I, I felt mm-hmm. where this guy's coming from because I very often wondered to myself as a very new dad, how do dads golf? I have mm-hmm. no idea. How do they just get up and just be gone for five hours of the day? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. But this guy, his head is in the right place. And maybe mm-hmm. you just you, you tip the club bro a little bit extra. You give him a little nice holiday bonus. You got to think of all of these factors because I, I, I think you're very close to something epic here. <laughs> I, I do. I truly believe that. But as long as you, you can't just be tail between the legs cops show up i'm gonna bail no 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 Mm -hmm. no no. you are owning it in this moment Mm -hmm. you are willing to stand up for those 30 something dads who don't have the time to be able to golf but have the resources and have the confidence to do it i you're such a perfect person to talk to this about because it's like you are such a rule follower but the guy did pay for unlimited access and he's being nice. He's like, you know, I love fixing my divots. I love respecting my cores. And exactly to your point. So so let's just do this thought exercise. Cops pull up on you. What do you, Conor O'Gara, say in this moment? Uh, you, you know me. I'm a beta. I'm going to apologize to the officer first. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, mm-hmm. officer, I'm sorry. And then I'm going to explain my situation. Mm-hmm. Say I've got, I've got young kids. I know this course very well. I'm a paying member of this course. Mm-hmm. Okay. I understand. I don't want to damage anybody's property. I want to, I'll, I'll even go all irons. I won't pull out the driver. We won't pull out the heavy stuff. No, no woods, no hybrids. We're just going to go straight irons the mm-hmm. entire time. I just want to be able to get out here and play. I'm making sure that I'm safe. I can see everything that's in front of me. I'm not hitting blindly like some people do out here. Mm-hmm. I'm a good golfer. Maybe you drop your handicap. Right. What do you say? His handicap's a 10? 10? Yeah. Okay. That's passable. That's fine. You drop your handicap. You explain the situation. You put that on the officer. You put that officer in that spot for them to make that decision because mm-hmm. chances are they're going to sympathize with you a little bit, a yep. little bit. And there's going to be a decency in them where maybe they just say, just get out of here. Don't do it again. And if that's right. the case, you had then your you're fun. Done. You're done. They, mm-hmm. You had your fun. You did this. You had to see if you could at least try. But I, I, I'd say, I'd say there's some promise here. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of worse idea. Heard of worse ideas on this very podcast, man. That is that is not dumb at all. And, and looping it all together, I'm now imagining you explaining this to Lauren when the cop grabs you by the scruff of your neck yeah. and brings you back to your house and wakes up. Lauren and the baby is like, "Hey, do you know what your husband was just doing?" Okay, that's a part that I forgot about. I probably forgot about how she's gonna react. Never mind. Now we're out of this idea because it's not the police we're scared of. It's retribution from a crying baby and your wife. That's actually a really good point because the cop will get it. She won't. If they're on board, though. Yeah. Oh, that's another good point. It does say they're on board. Yeah. Yeah. If everybody's asleep, you're not taking time away from them. It's not like Mm -hmm. you know you got the the kids are sleep trained and all that stuff. Like you know, you're not missing out or anything. It's like you're dipping on a date night to be able to go golf in the dark or something. No, I you're being considerate. This, this is very considerate of all the rule breakers. We've, we've come across in recent memory on this very show. This one is not the most egregious. I, I salute this endeavor. I, we need an update. Hopefully we'll get an update from this. So that closes out my lad of the week. 
Reddit user Subred Ted and his night oh. vision golfing idea. Beautiful, beautiful. Little housekeeping. Will is going to be away for the next two weeks. Will, you're mm-hmm. going to a little town called Europe? <laughs> a um, little town called Europe. Yeah, we're doing Prague, then Berlin, then London. We're going to try to see an Arsenal match. Hopefully that'll happen. Um, but yeah, so I'm really, really jazzed up about it. And it's going to finish right before football season, but not to where it messes up. Not before it doesn't mess up your schedule too badly. So I apologize for you because you guys will be doing two two pods a week for a little bit of that. Well, once once fall camp comes back, that's when we're going to be transitioning to the two pods a week. We'll have some different stuff coming up as well. We're going to do like some documentary reviews with the Mansell doc coming out, the Florida mm-hmm. doc that's going to be coming out. Got another thing that's in the works, movie related as well that we're going to be getting to at some point here. So yes, uh, last will for for a little while. You'll be missed, man. Safe travels. Hope everything goes well. Yeah, man. I'm uh, I'm excited. It's going to be super fun. I've actually been planning this trip since around like 10th grade and just like hitting these three places that nobody in my family has been. Um, so it's it's wild because like, you know, how it goes when you're the guy that's always, you know, there um, at work and everything. Uh, it's, everyone's like, you're going to be gone. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to be yep. gone. So yeah, it's, it's, it, that's, that's what we always, you know, worry about with PTO, but I think it's going to be fun and deserved and got to get this uh, out of here before there are lots of people counting on me later in life. You know? Yes. Amen. Amen. Well-deserved life is Life is worth living. That's what I always say. Um, if you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Join the Facebook group. Your name right on there with Figuring Out or Bold and Brush. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.